Hey everybody, and welcome to part two of our Soto Mojo Offseason Podcast Outfield Preview. Uh, if you enjoyed part one with Dan Clark, you're really going to like part two, because joining me today is Nick Lee. Nick, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself, and uh, tell us about all the websites and podcasts you do, because it's kind of tough to keep up sometimes. <laughs> it is. It's, it's a constantly changing business, as you know, Colby. Um, right now, I'm currently writing for Emerald City Swagger for Seattle Sports, mostly Mariners, but... I dab in the Seahawks and Huskies realm as well. Um, I also write for East Village Times, which covers San Diego sports. Unfortunately, these days that's not too many things because we lost a a certain NFL team. So um, I've been mostly covering the San Diego Padres for that website and their minor league affiliates. It's a really, you know, as a Padres fan, it's kind of a time for prospects and minor league teams. So that's what we've been focusing a a lot on. And then I do a podcast for uh, Legion of 12 Radio for the Seahawks. So I'm kind of all over the place, but... It's because I love it. Perfect. Then you're just the guy we need to talk to. (laughs) All right. So uh, much like part one of our podcast, we're going to focus on the Mariners outfield today. Um, So let's just dive right in. And just in a big picture sense, the 2017 Seattle Mariners outfield, were you disappointed, happy, surprised? What, What would you kind of rate the outfield in general? This was really a surprisingly tough to kind of gauge. I, I overall, I was I was pretty happy, um, especially looking at defensively. Jerry Depoto was very vocal in getting this a more athletic and defensive-minded outfield, and he put his money where his mouth is, and he walked the talk. Um, just looking at some stats, they were f- the as an outfield as a whole, um, they were fifth overall in outfield defense with 21 runs or defensive runs saved. If you're into that kind of thing. They did dip a little bit in, in outfield field percentage, but as far as I actually really like the defensive run saves uh, metric for for defense, and and they were among the top five in baseball outfield wise, and they were I think they were the only if not one or two teams in the top five that didn't make the playoffs. So that that just speaks to the caliber of defense um, that the outfield had, especially with when it, when it was peak performance with Dyson and Gamble, who are, are pretty athletic, Hanniger had showed me um, some surprising athleticism. I actually didn't realize how athletic he was until he came over. I knew he had a decent bat and maybe an okay glove, but I was pretty surprised. Offensively, I was honestly a little disappointed. So I guess to even him out, I'm, I was kind of left with that they were kind of as advertised because defensively they were great. Offensively, they had some, some dead spots. They were actually... I looked at the OPS of left field, center field, and right field rankings. And in left field, the, the Mariners were actually 27th overall in OPS. In center field, they were dead last. And that Dyson, you know, obviously not known for his bat, more defense, and that's great. And in right field, they were actually ninth. So left field and center field, offensively, they struggled ninth with Mitch Hanniger. That was okay. So overall, long answer. Long answer made longer. I was... I'll take this. I'll take this outfield every year. To be honest, I'm okay if, if we can get some pieces around this outfield. I'm okay with this outfield maintaining this these kind of numbers every year. Awesome. Um, I yeah. I was in the last podcast we talked with Dan about UZR 150, which is kind of the defensive metric I like to use, um, and it had them as tied for the fifth best outfield, just like uh, defensive run saved. So uh, yeah, I mean, any way you want to slice it, they had the they had a top five defense in the outfield and the last time you could say that was probably when you had Ichiro and Mike Cameron roaming around out there. So those are some uh, good names. <laughs> yeah. Those are some very good names. So uh yeah, you know, overall I, I liked what I saw, um, especially from Hanniger. 
I think I think with Haniger, the defense wise, anyways, it's kind of a surprising athleticism in that you watch him run and it doesn't look like he's a burner by any stretch. But uh, you know, having to get getting to watch him up close a little bit a few times this year, um, you know, he takes really really good routes to the baseball. Um, he's really smart and uh, he just reads the ball well off the bat. So I think having that defensive-minded outfield is really good. And uh, it cle- it worked to a certain extent this year, but like you mentioned, the offense in center field and left field were big issues. So let's focus on left field for now. For most of the year, the Mariners had a... Well, for most of the year, honestly, they started Ben Gamble, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it kind of looked like maybe it would be a platoon with Heredia, but Gamble was hitting lefty. So uh, let's talk about Ben Gamble for a second. Long term... What do you see from Ben Gamble? Um, he, he certainly showed flashes of being an everyday left fielder. Uh, he kind of tapered off towards the end and had an abysmal, I think it was August. One of those months, either either September or August, he had just an abysmal month. I can just look it up real quick. But um, Ben Gamble, I think, should be given every opportunity to take the left field job for the foreseeable future. Um, he's it just... I did find the numbers. August, he hit a buck sixty-one, so that that was pretty. Especially after three ninety-three June, where he was just trying to cover off the ball, and like like you said, he did start to hit lefties more than maybe they perhaps thought um, when when they thought maybe yeah, like you said, a, a platoon. But he seemed to be hitting both of them well versus lefties. He did actually hit three seven or excuse me two seventy-five, and that's the exact same average he had against righties two seventy-five. So that that's that speaks to his uh, his versatility. So I think left field right now is Ben Gamble's to lose. He certainly drives me in the, in the offensive categories. I think he has some, some speed. Uh, only sold four bases. I wish I could have seen a little bit more from him with that in that range. But 11 home runs, I didn't see much power before that. I mean, obviously, he didn't have very much time in the big leagues before then. But I think left field right now is Ben Gamble's to lose unless there's some crazy splash acquisition. Which, uh, we might get into a little bit later because uh, during the course of our conversation with Dan, he and I both kind of stumbled onto a uh, an interesting proposition that might be out there. But uh, we'll get to that in a minute. Um, so you like what you see from Gamble. You think he deserves a shot at it. Um, what, sure. uh, what about, uh, Guillermo Heredia? What do you think about him? For right now, he, I think he's uh, still a good fourth outfield guy. He hit 249, had struggled a bit with the best. He had a pretty, I think he had a pretty hot start to the year and, and especially the spring. He, well, he pretty much took the job by the horns in the spring and, and ran with that fourth spot and even the starting spot for a while appeared in 123 games. I like more with that. He's the athleticism speed there. Um, again, that's kind of the same story with, with Gamble. Gam- Gamble's bat is a bit far farther along than Heredia's, I think, um, and he actually is a year younger. So right now, I give the nod to. I think Heredia is certainly one to watch um, towards or during spring training, especially if the Mariners are coming outfield names, and he is in the mix for maybe that right field spot or maybe challenge for that center field for maybe challenges to bump Hanniger back to right field. So Heredia certainly deserves to be in the mix. I play right. this year. Uh, uh, the thing about uh, Gamble Heredia is that he really hits very well against left-handed pitching. So, in let's say the Mariners back uh, draw Dyson uh, on a one or two year deal or whatever, do you like the idea of pairing Guillermo Heredia with Draw Dyson as a straight platoon in center field, or would you like to just see Heredia kind of be just a true fourth outfielder? Oh, I like that idea. I, I was a big Draw Dyson fan, and we were talking before the show, and I was even clamoring that we should re-sign him at the right price. So, I, I would certainly be open to to a platoon with those two. Dyson showed. He hadn't much with his defense. He, he had a career high in home runs. I guess it's not saying much, but for Gerard Dyson it is. <laughs> so I 
I, I would I would be pretty pleased with that kind of, especially with how athletic both of them are. That's a pretty good platoon. I think most teams would be happy to have that. Right. Platoon. I don't I don't think you see much of a drop off defensively. I, Dyson's probably a little bit better. No. But uh, you know Heredia can really run it down in center field. They both have great arms. And just to wrap up the platoon point, um, Guillermo Heredia in 2017 against left-handed pitching. He hit 310 with a 360 on base and a 434 slugging. So that's with his defense and his arm. That's pretty good. Um, that's that's oh, yeah. a very valuable player. That's a WRC plus of 118, as I mentioned in the podcast. Uh, I's got some uh, interesting. I think his floor is a number four outfielder, right? And then and then you're just kind of hoping that maybe he can turn into something, but. Um, you know, for now, I think Heredia is a nice piece to have. And then I guess we'll just wrap up the outfield talk for this last year about uh, Gerard Dyson. Uh, you mentioned earlier bringing him back on the right uh, price, on the right deal. Um, what is it about Gerard Dyson that makes you want him back? Um, because, as you mentioned, he's not a great hitter. Um, so what is the defense and base running really that good? Yeah, I think it really is. It showed he had 28 steals this year, um, got caught seven times. And the bat, yeah, he hit 251. Like I said, had a, quote, career high with five home runs. But um, he's been decently consistent with the bat as far as you you kind of know what you're going to get. He's not not an atrocious hitter. He's he's not – I wouldn't call him necessarily maybe a liability. I'm not quite sure I'd go that far, but he certainly – towards the bottom of the lineup – I would like, like we've mentioned. I think having a role with Heredia certainly is an option. If, in fact, if spring training started today, I would have that as my. If I had, if I was trading field Gamble, right field Hanniger, platoon Heredia, and uh, Dyson, that's how, that's how I go. Awesome. Uh, like you mentioned, the uh, Dyson's not a liability at the plate. I will say this uh, against right-handed pitching, which in our scenario is where he would get a majority of his at bats. He had a WRC plus of 100, which is average. So, I mean, he's an average hitter against righties. He can't hit lefties that well. So, I, for me, the ideal number of games for Gerard Dyson to start is probably 90 to 100. Does that sound about right to you? Yeah, that's fair. Right. So, uh, that'll wrap up the 2017 talk. Let's look ahead to 2018. Uh, right now, the Seattle Mariners have three players um, under contract who you would consider an outfielder. They are, as we talked about, Ben Gamble, Guillermo Heredia, and Mitch Haniger. Jerry Depoto has already come out and said that the Mariners will add an outfielder. Um, but he also said it doesn't necessarily have to be a center fielder because they like what Mitch Haniger can do there on an everyday basis. So I guess my question to you is, are you buying what Jerry's trying to sell? Are you comfortable with Mitch Haniger being the everyday center fielder in 2018? You know, when I, when I first heard that that was happening, I got I was a little weary of it. I, I kind of had an instant judgment of, no, that, I don't know if that's a great idea. He just doesn't strike me as a center fielder, especially right fielders traditionally are the less athletic, the less uh, the, the weaker arm of the outfielders, but that's not the case with Mitch Hanniger. I actually looked up his numbers. So in, in 2017, he only played six games for the Mariners as center field. Had a minus one defensive run save, which is respectable, just a tick below average, and it's and like we've mentioned with Dyson, he's not a liability in center. At least he wasn't in those six games. And he actually was plus eight in right field. So he is a plus fielder. And in in 28 career games, he played 22 with the uh, Arizona Diamondbacks before he came to the Mariners last year. So in 2016, 22 games with the Diamondbacks. He's actually plus two um, defensive run saves in center field. So am I comfortable with this? I don't think so. 
But can he? Yeah, I think he can. He also played 200 minor league games at center field, so it's not like this is some foreign land to him. I'm willing to give him a chance. You know, that's what spring training's for. Spring training is to, is to see if, the, if these things will work out. He'll have plenty of work to do, plenty of opportunities to show that he can play center field. I'm I'm confident with his athleticism that he can at least be a serviceable to average center fielder. Are you? Uh, do you buy into the narrative at all that playing center field is more difficult than right field or left field? And with Mitch Haniger's season riddled with injuries, that might be a liability. Do you think that's true, or do you think Mitch Haniger's injuries were maybe not really? I mean, do you think they're not relevant to him playing center field? I think there's a little truth to that, honestly. Um, as you brought that up, I actually didn't think about that. That's a good point. Center field is a bit diff- more difficult than the other two outfield positions. It is like the quarterback of the outfield. It's like the center and the offensive line in football. The center fielder can see the whole field at- centered, obviously, because of center field. So he can he gets a good perspective on each fly ball hit in the outfield. And so he- he's going to call guys off. He's going he's gonna to charge hard. And he's got a guy to his left and to his right who are all trying to make plays. And we've seen sometimes that comes into they, they come into contact and sometimes form injuries. So with his injury history, that is a concern. I think it's it's something legitimate. Although there there was a couple fluky things like him getting hit in the face that has nothing to do with him playing center field. But I, I agree there there could be a bit concern with with his injury past and center field being the hardest of the three outfield positions. We'll just have to wait and see. Well, he he could very well be a very successful center fielder. And I could be laughing at my comments later, but. We'll have to see. I will, it, only spring training will tell. Yep. Uh, I would have to agree with you. I think you look at some of the injuries, though, uh, particularly getting hit in the face. That has nothing to do with playing you know, baseball in general. And then the other one, he was diving back into first base um, in April, and that kind of that was the oblique injury, I believe. So, I mean, they're not exactly, uh, you know, pulling a hammy or anything like that. Those are injuries that come from, you know, contact with something. So. Uh, you know, I think it's an interesting point. I think we'll wait and see what happens there. But uh, I'm with you. I'm, I I can see it, maybe. But I wouldn't like to see Mitch Haniger out there more than, you know, 60 to 75 games out there in center field. Um, and I'm, I'm right there with you on that. So let's talk a little bit about um, adi- possible additions to the outfield. Um, is there a name out there that you would kind of is there a preference that you have for who the Mariners bring in to fill their outfield spot I guess my preference would be somebody who could play both right and center field athletic enough to play center field and also can bring the lumber with them and and a bit of pop especially as guys like Nelson Cruz are old and don't even play in the outfield more and excuse me and we we didn't have a ton of power in the outfield last year besides Hanniger um, so I, I would like to bring someone who can be powerful, but also play right and center field. That's my preference. I don't think I think they really are truly comfortable with Hanniger moving forward in center field, and they will look for options um, that probably shouldn't play center field. One that popped up to me that I'm, we actually didn't talk about this before is uh, is there's two names that popped up to me is Jay Bruce and Colby Colby Rasmus are, are two possible ones. Uh, they're not the or neither of them are quite, uh, neither of them are kind of having, or Jay Bruce had a decent year, Kobe Rasmus kind of fell off, but I, I think both of them could fit right field. Obviously, I don't think either of them can play center field, but what, what do you think about maybe Jay Bruce or Kobe Rasmus? Yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting you mentioned Rasmus. That was one of the guys that Dan in part one mentioned um, that he would like to see them bring in, 
And, uh, you know, you look at his season. He had a very nice season before he went on the restricted list. Um, He kind of made it sound like he was done with baseball, but he also left the door open. So I don't know if he's coming back in 2018. Um, If he is, I think that's a really smart target because uh, he can play both corner spots and he he brings the power that the outfield is lacking. Although I think Haniger, when healthy, is probably a 20 to 25 home run guy. And I think Gamble is probably a 15 home run guy. So it's not like they have a complete power outage out there. But uh, in terms of Rasmus, uh, yeah, I mean, I think the contract would be reasonable. I think uh, he's a pretty good ball player, and it makes sense. Um, as for Jay Bruce, you know, I'm not a huge fan of Jay Bruce. Um, the defense has been really bad. Um, and he, (laughs) he's just kind of a one trick pony to me. Um, it's all about the left-handed power. Um, not that that doesn't have value, but when you're Jerry DePoto and you've said, Hey, you know, we want athleticism in our outfield. We want guys who can go catch the baseball to sign Jay Bruce. Um, you know, it's just, I'm not, I'm not really, I don't think it matches what they want to do. Uh, one positive for Jay Bruce, if I'm not mistaken, Jay Bruce is ineligible to receive the qualifying offer. Um, I think so you're he right. Was, so he's one of the few uh, big name guys out there who's not going to have a qualifying offer attached. And even though that doesn't cost the Mariners a first round pick like it used to, it still will cost them either a second or a third round pick, and uh, you know, and some international bonus money. So I'm not sure I'm ready to go down that route. Um, honestly, if they were going to go after Jay Bruce, I might just want to spend the extra money and go get J.D. Martinez. <laughs> that would be quite the outfield. Especially, that would be quite a uh, lineup with J.D. Martinez and Nelson Cruz for one year at least. That'd be that'd be pretty awesome. Um, yeah, Jay, that, that's you. You do make a good point. Jay Bruce would kind of go against the narrative of a more athletic defensive outfield. Um, another one, perhaps that I, I would maybe take a flyer on. Maybe not as an everyday guy, and he's not really great with the bat either. It's Ben Revere. He's getting up there. Um, he, he's 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 logged several teams already, and I'm not quite sure what is what he would demand on the market. But maybe someone to take a flyer on, especially if the winter gets late and the spring is approaching, and the Mariners still aren't quite comfortable with with where they are at. That's maybe another avenue I'd go. He had, I mean, he played in 109 games for the Angels last year. Kind of, he's bounced around a lot. Obviously, zero power, but. Um, very good athletically, can run the bases. Yeah, he's kind of a Gerard Dyson type. Um, sure. You know, we'll wait and see what his salary or what his contract demands are. I can't imagine they'll be too high. But, um, you know, the Mariners have a young outfielder in AAA by the name of Ian Miller. And he kind of projects similar to what Ben Revere is. Not a lot of power, but, you know, pretty good contact ability. Runs the bases really well. But I am also concerned if they go down that avenue, it just feels like something a playoff team shouldn't be doing. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. This is kind of, I don't know, splitting hairs. But yeah, if, if that's kind of how I felt about the rotation towards the end of the year. Kind of, kind of the same feelings like it was around July or August and we got a rotation of Christian Bergman and San Gaviglio, like, this is not a playoff rotation. I don't care who you're playing for. Um, it's kind of the same thing. That's true. You probably should aim a little higher. Um, I, I do have a question. What do you think on perhaps, I know we, he's, I think he's a free agent at the end of the year. He did bring some intrig- intriguing tools and just got called up last year. Jacob Hanneman, uh, he's, he's kind of an older prospect because um, he went to BYU, and I know about that stuff. But he's, 
he's an older guy, and I, I actually have been. In, I followed his career closely, and he seems to kind of be start, starting to find stuff. And he's really athletic. Get it comes from a really athletic family. What do you think of Jacob Hanneman? Um, like I hadn't been following his career like you had, but uh, what I saw in September, I think there's some good. I think the hit tools, it's okay. Um, it certainly looks like he'll take his pitches. Um, he'll work counts. I'm not sure there's a lot of pop in the bat, but again, if you're talking about you know Hanneman versus Ben Revere, Hanneman's only going to cost you five hundred thousand dollars. He's got some speed. He's got some right. athleticism. Um, pretty good defender from what I saw. Pretty good arm. And you know, he, to me, he's basically he's a little bit slower um, than Ben Revere. But I mean, that's not to take anything. Ben Revere is one of the fastest guys in baseball. Um, Hanneman, yeah. I, I like him. I think he's more of a fourth outfielder type. So, um, you know, we'll see what happens with him. Um, I don't feel comfortable with him, you know, going into spring training expecting to play a major role in the Mariners. But that's that's true of any, you know, current minor leaguer. I really don't want them to go out and say, oh, you know, we have Ian Miller, that's good enough, or we have Braden Bishop, that's good enough. I would really like to see them go out and add a quality, you know, major league outfielder. Yeah, I, I, I tend to agree. In fact, if we're talking 2018 or bust, 2018 or we're totally stripping it down, we're going to go for it all next year, go for gold. Go after Lorenzo Cain. Go after, like you said, J.D. Martinez. Go after those guys. Like, if, if we're real serious about this, and if, if this really is it, if this is the last ride with guys like Felix Cano and Cruz and Seeger, perhaps, let's go after... Kane, what's what's what do you think is the possibility of Lorenzo Kane being a Mariner? I would say that Lorenzo Kane, um, I, I think if you gave Jerry Depoto truth serum and you said, hey, let us know, like, what are you doing this year? I think he would say his number one target is probably like you, Darvish. I think he would say his number two target is Lorenzo Kane. Now, whether or not I don't know what his contract's going to be. Um, you know, I've seen some people estimate that he'll get kind of a Dexter Fowler type of deal, which is, you know, five years, 80 million. And then I saw somebody estimate that yeah. because of the poor free agent class, he might get five years, 100 million. Um, yeah, yeah. If you're, if you, to me, if you're talking about being right in that Dexter Fowler range, you know, sign me up for that. Um, you know, he's 32 yeah. years old. He's a good center fielder, above average center fielder. He's got some pop. He's got some speed. He can help you a lot of different ways. And you know, I I'm assuming that Kane would come in and probably hit second, and so you're you're looking at oh, yeah. Segura, Kane, Cano, Cruz, Seager, you know, Haniger, maybe your six, or Zanino, or any of those guys. So I'm right there with you, man. If it's if they truly truly want to do, you know, if they want to make an impact move that moves the needle for Mariner fans, Lorenzo Kane is the guy. Um, he's the perfect fit, really. He plays center field which is exactly what you need, and he's a middle to top of the order bat. I mean, he's the guy to me that just it makes a lot of sense, so probably not going to happen. <laughs> yeah, because a lot of things that make a lot of sense to us usually don't happen. That's very true. <laughs> um, uh, for what it's worth, thespottrack.com, that website, I, I kind of follow for free agency and, and contract stuff. It says his market value <clears throat> is just a tick below $15 million, so if it's in that range, yeah. sure. Like you said, Dexter Fowler range. Heck yeah, let's let's do it. I'm sure a guy like J.D. Martinez will command a bit more. Carlos Gonzalez is not as attractive as he once was. 
I, I don't know. What, what, what about Cargo as a maybe discount? I actually option? love both of the Cargos. That would be Carlos Gomez and Carlos Gonzalez. I know a lot of people don't like mm. Gomez because he's kind of a, an asshole. But uh, <laughs> I, I, love, I think the Mariners have been missing that guy for a while. Just that guy who stirs things up and gets in people's faces. So uh, I, would, I would like that very much. Um, in terms of Cargo... <laughs> That's that's the name that uh, I'm very familiar with. Um, basically, because every single year I've played fantasy baseball, I've had cargo. I really like the guy. Um, <laughs> you know, back in the day, he was a 2020 guy who played really good defense and right. Um, now he's, you know, the injuries have taken their toll. He had a really good um, September, if I'm not mistaken, and that really jumped up his value. But yeah, if you're willing, if cargo's willing to come in for on a one-year deal you know, 10 million or so, absolutely sign me up for that. Um, that's all upside. It's also a, if your if your team falters, it's a guy who's pretty easy to trade and get something back. And he, again, he's a guy who maybe hits fifth to take some of the pressure off of Seager. You can move him down. He can hit second. You know, I, I really like Cargo, uh, bringing him in to be the right fielder uh, or left fielder, assuming, of course, that you have a decent uh, center fielder ready to go. And if that means if it's Mitch Hanniger, then... Yeah, I'm I'm okay with bringing in cargo. If Mitch Haniger is the answer in center field. Yeah, that, that, that's a good point. I actually really like your Carlos Gomez thing with, with stirring the pot a little bit. That that's he he has rubbed me the wrong way. I I, I am a I'm kind of in the in between. I really like guys that express themselves. I'm okay with bat flips. I'm okay with all that kind of stuff. I think it makes the game more watchable. It make, it brings more fans. And then there's a there's a fine line between that and just being a jerk. And I, Carlos Gomez, for me, a few times has kind of crossed that line. But but if he's a Mariner doing it for my team against somebody else, sign me up. Yeah, uh, he's definitely crossed the line more than once. But uh, like I said, I've just I've always been a big fan of his. Um, you know, I just I want the Mariners to have a guy who plays with a little fire. And that's not to say that the Mariners don't have those guys, but you don't see it out on the field. You know, it's a very calm demeanor. I mean, heck, Robinson Cano is probably the smoothest guy in all of baseball. I mean. He never oh, yeah. looks like he's worried or angry or anything. You just, I mean, you can't get a beat on him. But Cargo's really nice. Um, so one of the guys that, uh, just to flip it back on you, one of the guys that uh, I was looking at possibly as a center fielder, um, Randall Grichuk, I believe is how you pronounce his last name. Yeah, Grichuk, of the yeah. Cardinals. The Cardinals are apparently willing to move an outfielder. Um, they're apparently looking for a bullpen guy. Um, we talked earlier about the Mariners not having a ton of power in the outfield. He certainly brings that. I mean, we're talking 30 home run power. Um, not a great on base, not a great on base tool. Strikes out a lot. Doesn't take a lot of walks. But man, he hits the ball very hard. I think he was top 15 in um, in the average exit velocity. I mean, he's a guy who can play all three spots pretty well. He's probably a little bit worse than Hanniger in center. But, you know, he's at least serviceable out there. He's really good in the corners. So, for me, Grichuk is the guy that kind of makes sense when you look at it from a long-term perspective who can also help you now. What do you think? I actually really like that. Um, he's 26. <clears throat> excuse me. Just turned 26, so he's pretty young still. Yeah, he had 22 home runs this past year. Had 24 the year before. So, certainly 25 home run range, and maybe if he plays a full season, he, he played 122 games this year, maybe bump it up to towards 150, he might approach 30 home runs. 
he, he did, like you mentioned, maybe not great on base guy. He hit 238 with a 285 on base percentage. So that, that's not great. But I agree. I think that would be a great option, especially if you want to maybe test him out in center and test, or excuse me, test out Hanniger in center and Grichik in right. If Hanniger's not cutting it, switch him around and see if, if Grichik cuts it in center field. Um, he, he is a decent fielder. He's got plus, he had a plus six uh, defensive run saved in the outfield last year. At center, he actually had a plus one in just five games. So kind of the same sample size and same results as Hanniger and maybe just a tick below. But yeah, I think that's certainly an option to look for, especially um, via trade, I think. That like like you said that the Cardinals are willing to, to move some pieces and I think Grichik is one to certainly look at because um, to have Grichik and Hanniger in the outfield for as far as power goes that's that's a pretty powerful outfield and and then having Gamble who's more of an on base um, athletic guy having those three in the outfield I think it will be pretty pretty darn good I was signing up for that that I could see that as a potential playoff outfield yep um, I think uh, I think Depoto is probably I think that makes a lot of sense. Uh, Gurchak is going to make... Sorry, how do you pronounce his name again? I've heard it. Gurchik. Okay. That's what I've been... like. Just watching Cardinal games on TV, that's what they've been calling Gurchik. Gurchik. You know, he's scheduled to make... He'll be arbitration eligible for the first time this year. He's going to make about $3 million. Um, that's very reasonable. Um, that would make... If Gam, if your starting outfield was Gamble, Gurchik, and Hanniger... You're looking at a total of about three and a half million dollars on your starting outfield. Um, that could that could give wow. you a lot more money to spend on your starting pitching, maybe first base, you know, whatever it is you want to spend it on. So hey, Tony. Yeah. <laughs> hey, there's another guy who, by the way, <laughs> plays outfield. So uh, oh yeah, there so. you go. <laughs> I cover two needs in yes, one at about five hundred thousand dollars in year one. So. Uh, yes, we're all. I think we're all on board on the Otani bandwagon. So uh, we haven't spent a lot of time on him just because. I mean, do you want Shohei Otani? Yeah, who doesn't? So, so uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, he <laughs> certainly is the wild card in all this. So um, we're gonna wrap this up now. Uh, two quick notes you mentioned here in the podcast, but uh, I'm gonna tell. I'm gonna let you pick the last outfielder here. Um, give me your starting outfielder. Starting outfield. All three spots on March 29th, I believe, is opening day against Corey Kluber. Um, you can sign a free agent if you want. You can make a trade. But just give me your ideal starting outfield for the Mariners in 2018. Oof. All right. So left field, I'll go okay. Gamble. Right, or excuse me, center field, I'll go Hanniger. And then right field. Huh. I actually think Colby Rasmus. I think Rasmus is going to come out and, and be a Mariner. So I'm going to go Rasmus in right field. Awesome. With uh, I'm assuming Heredia is your fourth outfielder. Yes, outfield Heredia is fourth outfielder. Yep. Okay. Awesome. Um, I'll tell you. I would. I'll go uh, just real quick. I'll go Gamble. Um, I mentioned this. Grich, I can't even say his name. Grich, whatever his name is. You know who I'm talking. Yes. Thank you. In center field, I'll go Hanniger and right. But uh, like I mentioned on the uh, part one of the podcast, if you guys go back and listen to that, my absolute dream scenario would honestly be Kevin Kiermaier in center field. Uh, yeah, the Ooh. Rays, they are kind of making it known that they are willing to maybe sell off some of their more expensive pieces. Uh, Kiermaier just signed a deal there, so it's not likely. Um, but, heck, if it's only a 5% chance even, I'm willing to live in that fantasy land because I love Kevin Kiermaier. But... Uh, 
And back here in reality, we'll go with Gamble, Grichik, and uh, Haniger in right field. And uh, yeah, so uh, final, uh, I guess the final question here is something we discussed or kind of stumbled upon to in the last podcast um, with Dan. The Here's a scenario for you. The Seattle Mariners re-signed Gerard Dyson. They say Haniger and Haniger's our right fielder. Dyson and uh, Heredia are going to be platooning, right? We're going to trade Ben mm-hmm. Gamble to – the example I used was Tampa Bay for Jake Odorizzi. And then in left field, we're going to sign Cargo, Bautista, pick a guy. What, what, if that got announced at the winter meetings, what would your reaction be? Kind of a gamble for a starting pitcher who is – Gamble-ish, if you know what I mean. Like, they're similar. Yeah. Yes. Sign me up. I, I would be okay with that, especially if we do re-sign Dyson and make up for the loss in athleticism in the outfield. And we can make we can move around and make some pieces work. Because the outfield was not why we didn't make the playoffs last year. It was starting mm-hmm. pitching. So if we, I, I'm okay giving up a little bit of our, maybe well, not more than a little bit, uh, a decent amount of our outfield production for a starting pitcher because that is why we did not make the playoffs was starting pitching jake odorizzi is a is a proven starter he's he's made uh, about 30 starts i think for four almost four straight years he's been around the 30 start mark so and he's he's just he's usually a tick under four era sign me up for that well, let's let's get some starting pitching in yeah, seattle plus uh two years of control with odorizzi so it's not a rental oh yeah um yeah you know just kind of the, that idea that hey you know we all really like Ben Gamble, but if you can trade him for some starting pitching, it's just it's a lot easier to find a left fielder in this free agent market than it is a center fielder or starting pitcher for that matter. So I think right. I think that's maybe something they should explore. So uh, sure, that's going to do it here on uh, part two of episode three of the Soto Mojo Offseason podcast. Nick, do you have any parting thoughts? Anything you uh, think I missed or anything you want to say? All I gotta say is I love watching postseason baseball, but it would sure be a lot better if it was up in Seattle. <laughs> yeah, a point not lost on anybody. So I think I think what Nick's really <laughs> trying to say here is, hey Jerry, go get Shohei Otani, go get Lorenzo Cain, go get you Darvish, and let's do this thing. Let's do, let's do it. it. So this is uh, Colby Patton of Soto Mojo signing off uh, again. Thanks to uh, Nick Lee for joining us, and I will see you guys in another life.